Hello everyone and welcome back to the Anatomy Lab. I hope you are all well and doing okay today. Let's jump into another podcast and in today's episode let's focus right in on some detail and be rather specific with our choice of topic. Now if you're completely new to facial nerve anatomy and want a general introduction, I recommend you go listen to my general introduction to the facial nerve. As a follow-on from that, I want to do a bit of a deeper dive today, and let's discuss anatomy that allows clinicians to differentiate upper versus lower motor neuron facial palsies. This is perhaps the most common request I receive from our students, and for good reason. It's very easy to confuse the two types of facial nerve damage and get tangled with descriptions. But today, let's attempt to pry out some key principles and leave you feeling less daunted by learning this anatomy for the first, or perhaps tenth time as it may be. Why is this important, you may ask yourself? Well, this anatomy can prevent you from misdiagnosing a stroke as something far less dangerous, such as a Bell's palsy. Time is literally brain tissue when it comes to managing a stroke, and as such, these five minutes of anatomy could potentially save someone's life. So in this podcast, let's dive into the anatomy of upper versus lower motor neuron facial palsies. Okay, let's start off with some groundwork looking at anatomical principles and we can add some layers of detail as we go. Motor then is the term we use to explain movement, as in motor car. Motor neurons are neuronal fibres that innervate muscle and thus cause movement. And these come in two main types. Those that supply smooth muscle in organs, which we term visceral motor neurons, and those that supply skeletal muscle. The latter are termed somatic motor neurons. And it is the somatic motor neurons we are interested in here with the facial nerve. Now, somatic motor neurons are under your conscious control, and most motor commands you make come from a specific part of the cerebrum high up in the primary motor cortex of your brain. When you decide to move a muscle, such as flex your elbow, the signal from your brain travels down two sets of wires, which are both different subtypes of somatic motor neurons. The first wire passing from the brain is called an upper motor neuron, and it travels from the brain and down the spinal cord. It then connects to the second wire called a lower motor neuron, and these are found in the peripheral nerves which exist outside of the brain and spinal cord. And anatomically, that's how we differentiate upper versus lower motor neurons. Upper motor neurons live in the brain or spinal cord, whereas lower motor neurons are found outside the central nervous system in all peripheral motor nerves. This latter description includes cranial nerves. So whilst the cranial nerves are cranial by name, they're still peripheral nerves and therefore those that have a motor function must carry lower motor neurons. You still with me? Good. Okay then. Second key principle. Most motor commands start on one side of the brain, but innervate the opposite side of the body, as they cross over, or decussate as we call it. The key word here is, of course, most, and we will come back to that idea. Now let's consider this arrangement specific to the facial nerve. The facial nerve is a mixed sensory and motor nerve that can be damaged anywhere along its very tortuous course. Its main somatic motor function is to supply the muscles of facial expression, with five branches facilitating this movement. Your temporal, zygomatic, buccal, marginal mandibular and cervical. Of all these branches, it is the temporal branch that is the only really interesting one, as this one allows us to differentiate between upper versus lower motor neuron lesions in the 
de Fischelnhoef. Why is this branch so interesting then? Well, as we mentioned prior, the facial nerve on the right side of the face is supplied largely by the left side of your brain. And this is true of all the branches to the face, except the temporal branch, as this one is rather unique and is supplied by both sides of your brain. As such, it is described as having bicortical representation, your cortex as in brain and bi meaning twice, double or two. Let's look at the arrangement of motor neurons then. On the left side of the brain, upper motor neurons pass from the cerebral cortex via the cortical bulbar tract, and most of these neurons cross over to the right side of the pons, where they synapse at the right facial nerve nucleus. Here they connect to lower motor neurons that leave the pons to enter the right facial nerve, and subsequently innervate all the facial motor branches on the right side of the face. However, from the left side of your brain, some upper motor neuron fibres do not cross over and instead stay on the same side to synapse with the left-sided facial nerve nucleus, innovating lower motor neuron fibres here. Importantly, these neurons that stay on the same side only synapse with the neurons to the temporal branch of the left facial nerve. Of course, we see a mirror image on the opposite side of the brain and the result the temporal branch is innervated by both sides of your brain. This is a slightly simplified description of the cortical bulbar tract and facial nerve arrangement, but any more detail works best with some diagrams and not in podcast form. Now, lesion time. If a patient has a stroke on the left side of the brain, which side of the face will be weak? The right side. This occurs as left-sided strokes damage the upper motor neurons that live in the left side of the brain. This in turn stops signals reaching the lower motor neurons that innervate the right side of the face. However, you have two hemispheres of the brain, and in a left-sided stroke, the right side of the brain is unharmed. Those right-sided upper motor neurons then, that do not cross over, are still free to innervate the right side of your face, the temporal branch. The result, despite facial weakness on the right side, the person can still raise their eyebrows on the weak side. And that is classic upper motor neuron facial palsy. Now, let's talk lower motor neuron facial palsies. If this facial weakness were to be a lower motor neuron palsy, the lesion must be somewhere along the root of the facial nerve itself, outside the brain where the lower motor neurons of course live. As such, a lesion here is below the facial nerve nucleus, and the neurons from both hemispheres of the brain have already done their crossing over by the time they get damaged. In effect, this disrupts the signal coming from both sides of the brain further down the neuronal pathway. Therefore, the whole right side of the face will be weak, including the forehead in a lower motor neuron palsy. Now this can take a few reads to get in your head, or in this case listens I guess, so don't give up on it after just one listen. Go back and have another one. In the past I ran the new doctor's induction, and I would tell them a cheat way of remembering this. As a surgical doctor, and as such equipped for dealing with lower motor neuron palsies only, I would exclaim if you book a patient into my clinic with a facial nerve palsy, and that patient raises their eyebrows at me, I would raise my eyebrows at the referring doctor, as the patient should have seen a stroke doctor, not me. But this description, of course, leaves out the beautiful complexity of the anatomy we just described. Thanks a lot for listening. Please stay safe and well, and I will catch you next time on Dissectable Me.